0: Hi, and welcome to Selling Your Business with David King. I'm David King, and I'm the author of Selling Your Business, Begin With The End In Mind. It's available on Amazon. Today, the subject is start planning to sell your business on day one. Like the title of my book, you've got to begin with the end in mind. If you own a business, you must have an exit strategy in mind. And you should start creating that exit strategy. You should have that long-term vision on the day you first form your business. Know that all of the high-tech companies in Silicon Valley have an exit strategy in mind on the day that they form their business. And that's one of the reasons why they're able to attract early stage investors, if you don't have a vision for how you're going to be able to create a valuable company, it's going to be much harder for you to attract people to invest in your business. And the biggest investor you have in your business is you. You're going to be putting your pouring your soul into this business for the next number of years. You want to be able to recoup all of that hard work and and get compensated for your hard work, get a big gain out of this and you must plan in order to do it properly. If you cut corners throughout the life of your business, it's going to come back to harm you in a sale. It's going to come back. It's either going to torpedo a sale altogether, or it's going to reduce the amount of money that you receive on, on, on a sale. Mistakes made at the very beginning of a business can have very expensive consequences on this sale itself. And the earlier that you start planning, to exit your business, the more alternatives you will have available to. Mistakes made at the beginning of a business cost much more to clean up at the time of sale than if you'd done things right from the beginning and invested in the right resources throughout the life of your business. Some people think that these things will never come to light if they do things If they cut corners, they might throughout the yearly operations of your business, they might never come to light. But if things go badly, they will come to light. And certainly, if things go well, if you're able to sell your business, the ways that you've cut corners will come to light and they will either cost a lot to clean up, they will reduce the amount that you receive in the sale, or they will torpedo the sale altogether. So, on that note, let's start with a positive mindset. Let's start with the sale. How is this going to work? More likely than not, the buyer is going to want to buy your business, whether you're a small business or a middle market business, your buyer is going to want to do something called an asset sale. They're going to want to buy substantially all of the assets of the business, and they're, they're going to want to Leave you with the liabilities, i.e., here is your check. Go pay off your debt yourself. We're not taking over all your liabilities either. Uh, We're not buying your stock. We're not merging with you. We're buying substantially all of your assets, and with all of those assets, we're gonna be able to run the company. Doesn't just mean tables and chairs. It means all your contracts. It means your intellectual property. It means your name, your phone number. It's everything, lock, stock, and barrel. So the 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 physical process of transferring ownership of a business is identical no matter how you do it. You hand over the keys, they take over everything. But the legal form of this is done differently in an asset sale and a stock sale or a merger. So more likely than not, with small companies, with middle market companies, it's going to be an asset sale. So let's use that in mind when we think through the one of the first decisions you're going to make, which is what form of entity am I going to choose? And Here's the basic truth is that you're going to have an asset sale more likely than not. So you want to choose a form of business, which is known as a flow through from a tax perspective, a flow through form of company and a flow through business means that there's no tax at the corporate level. There's only tax to the owners of the business. It flows through to the owners in proportion to their ownership. Um, if you have a what's called a C corporation, there's two types of corporate taxation there's c corporations and s corporations s corporations are those where all of the income flows through to the owners and for federal purposes there is no tax at uh, there is no income tax on the income of the corporation it just flows through to the owners c corporation income and gain is taxed at the corporate level and at the shareholder level Two layers of taxation. And if you sell the assets of a C corporation, the C corporation itself is going to have a gain on the sale. It's going to have a taxable gain on the difference between the amount that it realizes on those assets and its basis in those assets, which is probably going to be written down to nothing. It's going to be a huge cost that the corporation has to pay. Then when the proceeds from the sale are distributed out to the shareholders, the shareholders are going to have a gain. On the sale, they're going to have a gain different, the difference between the amount that they receive for the sale and their basis in the stock, which again is probably going to be pretty low. So that's why they call it two levels of taxation. And in this case, it's called inside and outside gain, inside gain paid by the corporation and outside gain paid by the shareholders. We don't want that. And more likely than not, you're going to want to have an S corporation. And if not an S corporation, some other form of business where taxes flow through to the owners. Here's the simple first lesson to learn from that. You need a good CPA on day one. Or even before you form your business, you need the right CPA, not someone who's just done your tax returns or represents individuals, someone who serves businesses, who knows corporate taxes, who's qualified to represent you. And so talk to several CPAs. It may be that your current CPA is good for doing your personal returns, but not sufficiently qualified to do your corporate returns. Every business owner must have a CPA, a good tax advisor so and when you form an entity it's worth it to do it properly it especially if you're going to have other owners with you use an attorney uh People in my career as an attorney have come into my office having used LegalZoom to form a business, and it always winds up being a very expensive cleanup process because, one, they've probably never read the forms that they got from LegalZoom, and two, LegalZoom doesn't adequately address the issues that they have on the table. Creating an entity properly is not expensive. Cleaning up an improperly formed entity is very expensive. It's costly if if the owners have a falling out with each owner, each other, and it's costly to clean up on the eve of sale. So do it right on day one, get a tax advisor and get a CPA. The services at the beginning are not expensive. It's the cost of doing business. If you want to go into business for yourself, you need to be able to invest in these sorts of services. This is an investment in your business. I was uh, signing my son up for baseball one year and I I went into the sporting goods store and the equipment was going to cost like $200. And I thought, forget it. I am. There's no way I am paying $200 for the the equipment for my son's baseball. That's just I'm not going to buy all of this. And then I was thinking, wait a minute, I can either pay $200 today or I can pay $150 today and come back tomorrow and buy the other $50 worth of stuff which he's going to need to play baseball. You need the full services of a CPA. You need the services of an attorney to help you form your business. And CPAs often don't charge for general advice at the beginning of your business. They'll give you some some general advice hoping that you'll come back and use them for their tax returns, you know, that you you can go ahead and engage them as your as your accountant. Um, so it's not costly to do this right. It is costly to do it wrong. And if you do it wrong and create the wrong form of entity, you can wind up paying dearly on the sale. So don't rain on the parade when it comes time to sell your business. The list of forms of business entity include, a, you know, sole proprietor. That means you operate business as yourself. No no separation between you and any legal entity you fully liable for any uh, debts of the businesses, any claims against the business. Uh, it's generally not advisable. And let's think in terms of a sale. Is anybody going to look at a business that's, you know, an individual operating, even if they have a, a, a fictitious business name, a DBA, even if you have a DBA, do you think that's going to be the type of image that that captures top dollar? The buyer is going to look at you and say, you aren't even willing to create a business entity. You are the type of person who cuts corners with everything. It's not what you want a buyer to see. Create a business entity. Similarly, a partnership. Partnership is the same thing as a is a sole proprietorship, but it's an association between two or more people. And it's even more likely to be screwed up than a sole proprietorship because you've got all these different people who might take inconsistent actions. If you're going to have multiple people involved in a business, you absolutely must have some form of business entity. And a business entity means either a corporation which is the standard choice for most businesses, uh, a limited liability company, it's a newer option that states offer, or a limited partnership. Now, there are tax reasons and non-tax reasons for choices of the different business entities. You can walk through these issues with your attorney, with your, with your accountant. You can choose one entity and then be taxed in the other form. An LLC can be taxed as a partnership or an LLC can be taxed as a corporation. If you're the sole owner of it of an LLC, you're the only person who own it, or if you and your spouse are the only person who own an LLC, well then it's it's disregarded altogether and it's just like a sole proprietorship. So all of this is somewhat complicated, but not difficult. It's elementary stuff for a tax advisor, for a CPA, and for an attorney. Don't do this on the cheap and read this on the internet and try and do it yourself. It's just not hard and it's extremely costly if you do this wrong and try to sell your business. But just keep this in mind. It's going to be an asset sale. You're not going to want two levels of gain. The standard choice for many reasons is a corporation. And then this is kind of off the subject of a sale. But a corporation is generally a a much more, it's got more history in terms of its existence. It's been around for longer. There are more statutes on the books. There are more cases that have been decided in your state about corporations. So that means there's more legal certainty about the outcome of certain issues. If things come into dispute with your co-owners, you might have to rely upon some Legal gray areas. Whereas with a corporation, things have been more well established. A corporation is more like an American car, a Japanese car. It's just standardized. Everybody knows what's under the hood. An LLC, each one is relatively unique. You've got this operating agreement that may or may not be like the last one. So it's harder to attract investors who are all going to want to look under the hood and see what you've got in your operating agreement. The stocks that you see traded on the securities exchanges out there. Yeah, what are they? They're stocks. They're from corporations. You don't see publicly traded LLCs generally. You don't see membership interests quoted on the on the Dow Jones. You, you see stocks. So companies that are going to go on and become big, are corporations. Again, there may be a reason why an LLC is the best choice for you because you want to be taxed as a partnership, but that's usually a unique situation. If someone's told you to become an LLC, the question is why? If you can't answer why, you need to get a tax advisor to tell you why this might be good for you. If it's not, the default is a corporation. Next subject is your intellectual property. You want to protect your intellectual property just like you protect any other property, and even more so, a hardware business would not be very valuable if it didn't have locks on the doors and physical and, and electronic means of monitoring its inventory. Similarly, you want to protect your intellectual property. If you got a valuable name, if you got a valuable logo, you'd want to trademark them. If you've got valuable technology that's novel and you're going to want to file it, uh, you want to protect it, you may want to file a patent. If you have something that's yeah, written material or some other forms of being reduced to writing, you may want to copyright it and protect it. Or if you've got something that you simply don't want to disclose to the, the the authorities when you register a patent, or then possibly you want a trade secret. The formula of Coca-Cola is a trade secret. They just don't disclose it external to the company. In addition to intellectual property, There's other stuff that's valuable to your business that may not meet the traditional definition of intellectual property, but you still want to protect. That's your proprietary information, things like your customer lists or your business plans. You want to be able to protect that as well. So there's two different things to think of. One is registration. You want to protect them. And two, you want to have contracts in place with people who are going to have access to your intellectual property. You're going to want to have your employees all sign something called a proprietary information assignment agreement so that everything that they create while they're working for you is clearly assigned to the business. And you're going to want to have your independent contractors similarly sign agreements where they're not going to take your intellectual property out from under you. So get these types of agreements in place so that you can show them to your buyer. It's not hard to get your employees who anyone who wants to come work for you should be able to pledge that they're not going to take your intellectual property. And then when they create something, it's going to be the companies. That's the, the general nature of working for another business. So get the, get the protection you need. Go through this with a qualified attorney who knows intellectual property and get the types of agreements in place from day one. The types of agreements that you need from day one and either, you know, an intellectual property attorney or many general corporate attorneys can provide you with the type of proprietary information agreements that you need to use with your employees. Protect your intellectual property. If someone else uses your intellectual property and other is allowed to use your intellectual property, then there should be a proper license agreement. If you use someone else's intellectual property, then you should have a proper license to use that intellectual property. You've certainly got a license to use all the software on your computers. So think of it that way. What other intellectual property do you rely upon to run your business? Do you have an agreement in place? The next subject is capitalization. And that is... Simply put, the ownership of the business. And you'll hear either investors, owners, uh, buyers of the business want to see a cap table. It's basically just a chart showing who the owners of the business are, how much they own, and if the shares were issued by the company, how much do they pay for those shares of stock. A cap table and the, the basically the capitalization of the business is not hard to keep straight it's not hard to keep right. It's, but it's of paramount importance to a business. If you've got a screwed up cap table, then you've got an expensive problem to clean up. For example, I've had people come into my office after years of operating and they, they speak in terms of percentages. Well, I promised so and so 50% and so and so 10% and them a 15%. And soon you're over a hundred percent because they've quoted these at different times. They, and they haven't understood exactly what it means to quote percentages. It's not difficult to understand capitalization. And I'll speak in terms of a corporation. The number that matters in terms of percentage of ownership, the denominator. Think of pizza dough, a pizza dough that's in a freezer. You're going to make a pizza. So what matters? How much of the pie are you going to have? We look at how much dough we take out of the freezer and put onto the, the counter and start rolling out. That's the pie. And how much of that pie are you getting? The dough that's in the freezer, that may be the authorized number of shares. And that's on your, probably on your art. It is on your articles of incorporation. The, the shares that are on the counter, that's the pizza dough that's on the counter. Those are the ones that have been issued and are outstanding. That's the denominator. A company may have a million authorized shares, but only a hundred thousand shares, which are issued and outstanding. That hundred thousand is the number that's used to determine everybody's percentage of ownership. Here's the thing to keep in mind, and let's think back in terms of of selling your business. You can't have this be screwed up when you show it to a buyer. A buyer does not want to hand over a big check and then get embroiled into a battle over who's entitled to that check. So keep this straight, it's not hard. Shares of stock, the issuance of the shares of stock have to be approved by the company's board of directors. And shares of stock have to be properly issued. You can't hand it out like monopoly money to shareholders. You can't hand it out to employees and say, here are your shares. Okay, that was a taxable event. You just gave them something of value. Are you going to give them the shares and and expect them to to write a check to the company? So go through these things properly. Call a board meeting, get an attorney involved, and keep a clean cap table. It is extremely easy to do properly and can be fatal. To a business, if your capitalization is not clear, you can have a dispute among the owners or you can have a problem when it comes to selling your business that absolutely shows that you would cut corners with something of paramount importance. So keep your capitalization straight. The next subject is accounting. And this is another area to pay the necessary cost of doing business. Don't skimp on accounting. And there are a couple of different areas where you need to kind of invest in your business. You need external accounting advice which gets you on the right path. And a qualified CPA is not one of the most expensive costs of doing business. And it's a very valuable service that can save you money. It can save you money on the sale and it can save you money throughout the term of your business. So get a qualified outside tax advisor. If your business grows to be larger, if you're a middle market company, you may need to have an audit or review done. But most companies that we're going to be looking at here are just going to be using an accounting firm and an independent CPA to provide tax services. Outside accounting services, don't skimp on them. If you're got a very small business, you're not going to have any internal accounting staff, then get a bookkeeper. If you try to skimp and save money by doing bookkeeping yourself, you should be in the business of bookkeeping. If you can't save, if you can't put your time to any better use than doing bookkeeping and leave that in the hands of someone who's a qualified bookkeeper, then you really need to think hard about whether you should be going into business. Get books that are reliable. You'll want things that the buyer is going to look at, that they know that they've been properly prepared, independently prepared if you've been using a, you know, a bookkeeper, and that they're going to be able to rely upon them for being accurate. If you've got books that are questionable, a buyer might run for cover. If they can't rely upon what the numbers mean, if the numbers are inaccurate, then you're going to have a hard time getting the full value of your business. It's just not worth it. So get a qualified accountant to work for you. If you've got a business that gets further along, then you need the qualified internal accounting staff. If you need a CFO, get a CFO. Uh, Don't rely upon someone who's qualified to be a controller. If you need a controller, don't Go one step back and get someone who's qualified to be an accounting manager. Get people who are qualified to fill the accounting roles that you need on your team. Identify the the positions you need to fill and fill them with qualified people. Your CPA should be able to help you do this. Your CPA should be able to give you some general advice on what do I need internally to have a proper accounting staff, and what sort of system should I have in place? What sort of processes should I have for recording transactions into my accounting system? You know, my 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 software, and and how should I make sure that I've got good numbers that are being accurately recorded? Now, um, there's several different you know, basic accounting uh, packages that you can implement. There's QuickBooks, there's FreshBooks, there's something called Sage 50. Just pick a reliable, good accounting package and get some input from those who are gonna be working with it. Get accurate accounting done. You don't wanna be cleaning up your books when it comes to the day of the sale. That's what I see often happen. The buyer will come, it'll start looking through the company, see some value, but then they, they look at the books and realize, wait a minute, I need to go back and and I can't rely upon this. So the seller of the business, the owner, will start to clean up their books completely. It delays a sale or it, it might even kill a sale. And it certainly brings down the value of what you're going to be able to receive. It is a can be an absolute deal killer if you don't have good accounting. The next subject is deal killers, problems that are going to run off a buyer. What sort of problems are going to run off a buyer if they spot? Litigation, especially litigation between the owners, is something that nobody wants to step in the middle of that. Nobody wants to buy a business that's subject to a, a big Liability, and so your business is not going to be sold while there's a heavy lawsuit coming at it. You know, minor claims—that's just part of you know um, the unfortunate reality in America today. But I'm not talking about just minor uh, claims against a business. I'm talking about real litigation that's expensive to defend, where there's the potential for big liability. and that's a deal killer. Problems with either taxing authorities, or other government agencies will delay a deal from happening until they're resolved or kill a deal altogether. Again, it either creates a problem that a buyer is not going to want to inherit from you or it shows the way that you run your business that you're the type of person who who's cavalier about risks and creates problems for yourself. A buyer is not going to want to see environmental liabilities because those are just very expensive liabilities in terms of litigation risks and government enforcement risks. Tax issues are, are common government issues as well. So try to avoid these issues as best as you can. Try to avoid deal killers. Next subject is incentivizing your employees to support a sale. You don't want to be in the process of selling a business or looking to sell your business and lose your best people. So there's ways to incentivize them to to stick around to help you build the value of your business while they're working for you, and to stay until there's a successful sale of the business. One is just giving them a stake in the company, giving them some ownership, and there's multiple different forms that can take. On the flip side of that coin, you want to disincentivize your employees from working for competitors, you want to include within your proprietary information agreements that they sign when they come work for you, include non-solicitation clauses so they can't Poach other employees to come with them and they can't poach customers uh, and get the, your vendors to go work with them. You want to protect your business as well as you can uh, with these types of agreements. If you get close to the period of sale and you want to incentivize people to stick around without letting any of your employees get the idea that the business is going to be for sale, you can award your employees certain forms of termination bonuses where if they stay on. Through a successful sale, that they would be compensated. Again, you want to be really careful that you don't give them any idea that the company's for sale, but this is just long term planning. Last subject, you want to conduct your own due diligence on your business. When you come to sell, again, let's think about the sale process. You got a buyer. What are they going to do? They're going to go through everything related to your business, all the records that you have. They're going to review all your corporate minutes, they're going to review your intellectual property documentation. They're going to review all your major contracts. They're going to review your tax returns, all your financial statements, your general ledger. Don't let the first due diligence of your business be done by the attorney for the buyer who is buying your business. Get out ahead of this process and do it yourself. Do it early, do it periodically. Keep your records in good order. Scour these same due diligence materials as if you were the buyer of your own business and look for everything to be in good order and look for any problems. Keep all of your records together. Make sure that you don't see problems in your agreements, in your intellectual property records, your tax returns, your accounting records. Have them in good order and you will be in a much better position to sell when a buyer comes along. I've covered a lot in this episode because there's a lot to cover and get correctly when you first start a business. So if you'd like more information about this, please grab a copy of my book, Selling Your Business, Begin With The End In Mind, on Amazon. With that, I'll sign off and see you next time.